It has been a great time. I do appreciate the church here and uh, the love you've shown toward us. And um, anyway, God's good. All I can say. Uh, Luke twenty-two. We can get to the text. Luke 22 and verse 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do ye in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. And I want to look at the subject here that Jesus gave thanks. Jesus gave thanks. The thankfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ is on vivid display throughout the Gospels. And we are reminded as we consider the subject this morning that our Lord Jesus Christ is both God and man. He is the eternal God of glory that we preached about yesterday but he also was a real man. And as a man, he was thankful to his God. And we see that displayed in the text. But not only here, and I would encourage you to kind of go through the Scriptures in the life of Jesus Christ and look at him and look at how he dealt with life as a man, as a real man. And one way that he dealt with life as a man was that he was, of course, in constant prayer to the Father. There are many prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as God, Jesus Christ has prayed too, but as a man, he prays. And as you go through the life of Jesus Christ, one thing that stands out of the life of our blessed Lord is that he was a thankful man. In Luke 11, excuse me, Matthew 11, I want to come right back here, but I want to just show you this this morning as we begin this to kind of set the stage to see how thankful Jesus was on every occasion. And God has recorded in His Word this revelation that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ, of His thankfulness as a man, as the Son of Man. And in Matthew 11 and verses 20 through 27 whenever he chides those that he had come to, and he tells them, uh, uh, and, and is, I believe in great anger because of what, how they did not receive him, though they should have received him. And what I mean by that is, 
is that there was nothing in Jesus Christ that would keep them from receiving Him except for their own hardened hearts. And he says in verse 20, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. And he goes through this long list as he berates them. And then verse 25 says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and the wise there are the self-wise. They didn't have the wisdom of God, but they had the wisdom of men. And they were those that were in power and prestige. And he, God had hid it, He concealed it from those leaders in the nation of Israel, the wise and prudent, but hath revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight, all things are delivered of me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. And I just say this about God's sovereignty. He is thankful for God's sovereignty in the midst of rejection. You'll notice that very carefully. So though despised and rejected of men, though he came unto his own and his own received him not, this did not dissuade the man Christ Jesus, but he was thankful for God's sovereignty in the midst of the rejection of the Jews and the rejection of the world generally because he knew the Father's will was being done. He was trusting in the covenant of grace. He was trusting in the Father. It's very interesting as you go through your Bible that not only are we to have faith in Jesus Christ, but the Bible also speaks of the faith of Jesus Christ. And that is covenantal faith, where He trusts the Father all throughout His life. So you see Him in vivid display. First of all, He is thankful for God's sovereignty in the midst of rejection. And this is what gets us through our time in our life as the sons of God, as the children of God, is that though the world reject us and though they reject what we have to say about the true living God and they reject our life, we can, be, we can trust in the sovereignty of God and be thankful that God is in control. Secondly, he was thankful for God's supply in the midst of impossible circumstances. In the book of Matthew 15, I will not go there, but you'll remember the time of the breaking of the bread where they were hungry along the way and, and the, with the loaves and the fishes. And it's recorded there in Matthew 15, verse 32 and verses through 38. And it says, uh, you know, when should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? Well, that was impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And the Bible says, and I know sometimes we just kind of rush through the Bible as we rush through life and we don't pick up on words or we don't think they have great import. But the Bible says that He took those loaves and fishes and He gave thanks. Oh, well, Brother Shepherd, that was just a meal. That's what we do at meals. No, He gave thanks. He was thankful that God could supply the impossible and that great multitude. So He took those loaves and those fishes, and he gave thanks. He was a thankful man. He was thankful for God's purpose in the midst of great heartache. Remember in the book of John chapter 11, there was the weeping Mary and the weeping Martha, and their brother Lazarus was dead, and he was in the grave stinking. And the Bible says there in the book of John chapter 11 that when he got to the tomb, he says, Father, thank you. That's the first thing he says. Father, thank you. Jesus Christ was a thankful man. He was thankful in the midst of great heartache. He trusted in the will of God, knowing God's grand purpose was for God's glory and for the benefit of his people there around that tomb, that he would be seen to be as he is, the resurrection and the life. And here we come to a common place for a New Testament church, and that is the place of the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus Christ here is going to institute the Lord's Supper. Now, He has been with His church, uh, I believe, for you know, at least about three years. He has been gathered with them, and 
He has instituted that body and he has been in their midst physically. And uh, he's preparing them for his departure. And as he leaves the earth, he is going to leave them an institution uh, in that church uh, that they can remember him with. And we know that as commonly as the Lord's Supper or the communion as we call it sometimes. And here we find that in the midst of this time, at the very end of his life, as he's facing the cross, he institutes the Lord's Supper. And at this time we find, and I do believe it is marking in the text, that he gives thanks. And I want to look at just this aspect. You may have never thought about this before, but he gives thanks. You know, whenever this church, for instance, will set communion from time to time and your pastor takes the bread. I don't know how exactly how you do it, but he would take the bread and he gives thanks. And he would take the cup and give thanks. And you should be thankful for the bread and thankful for the cup. As he does that, I pray that your heart and your mind will go back to this first night. This first night when the Lord instituted the supper, He takes the Passover supper. They have the Passover supper. I believe that's why it says here in verse 20, if you will, likewise also the cup after supper. Well, now why would He take the cup after supper? Well, because it's a different supper. You have two suppers in this text. You have the Passover supper, and then there's another supper. It's the Lord's Supper. That is, it is a, a, a better a supper, a, a supper that speaks of better things than the old Passover did. And it's not the Passover, it's a different supper. But I laid that aside. Here Jesus Christ comes, and He comes to the table. Yes, He comes to the Passover table thankful for what God did on that wonderful day when He delivered, Egypt, uh, he delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage. But His real focus... His real focus of thanksgiving is what He is going to do for His people. And so He is thankful. The thankfulness of Jesus is magnified in, in the institution of the Lord's Supper. And our attention is drawn to the Supper, the Last Supper, the, la the night of remembrance like no other. The Passover was truly a night of remembrance. The death and the blood of the victim and the place of the firstborn they're all here in this text. This was the night that would forever supersede that first Passover. This was going to be something better. You know, God's deliverance in the Old Testament was a wonderful deliverance for His people, but it was just a temporal deliverance. This was going to be an eternal deliverance. The one just spoke of the other. The one, though it was real and though it was literal in the life of the nation of Israel, this deliverance would be an eternal deliverance. The Passover would be an eternal Passover. It would be a better Passover. It would be Christ Himself who is our Passover. And so as we think about that, uh, He is thinking about Himself. You can look there in 1 Corinthians, and I'll go there again for time. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the Bible teaches us that Christ is our Passover. You know, New Testament churches do not keep the Passover. Whenever you set the table, you're not keeping the Passover. It is a totally different supper altogether. It memorializes a better event. It, 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 it memorializes a better lamb. And so something that can actually do something for people. Uh, not only temporally, but eternally. And so we have here the Lord Jesus Christ in this. And this night moves us, as I said, from the Passover to a new memorial meal. Jesus Christ is the end of the Passover and, and uh, He is a greater Passover. He is, and, and in the text, what we have is a memorial for a New Testament. A new covenant that God has, has promised in the Old Testament and Jesus Christ has come to fulfill. Notice with me in verse 20 again. It says, likewise also, also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. And as you think about that, I want you to see that Jesus is thankful. He is thankful for the new covenant and all that went with it. Jesus is thankful. What, what Jesus really in the text is thankful for is the sacrifice. 
Jesus is thankful for what that bread and that wine represents, and that is his body and blood. So we see here Jesus giving thanks about his New Testament obligations. Jesus is the ratifier, Jesus is the testator, and Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant. This covenant is based upon an oath of God. This covenant that is was designed by God. This covenant that was predestinated by God. This covenant that was ordained of God in the council of God in eternity. This covenant of what we call sometimes the covenant of grace. This new covenant, Jesus Christ Himself would be the one who ratified it with His blood. He'd be the mediator. That, that is, He'd be the one that would be in between God and man and join them together through this covenant. And so here he is saying as he comes to the table and his disciples are around him, that early church, and he says, Father, I am thankful for the covenant. I'm thankful for the covenant of grace. I'm thankful for shed blood. I'm thankful for the broken body. I'm thankful for my part in the covenant of redemption. Jesus Christ, the Bible says here, he gave thanks. Thanks. Jesus is thankful. Notice again verse 19. And He took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is My body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of Me. Likewise also. Now here's the very key to that verse. Likewise also. The same way He did this, He also did this with the cup after supper. So that puts it together in the text. You have this first supper, and then after that supper, he takes the bread and he blesses it and thanks. And the Bible says he blesses it in one place. Here it says he thanks God for it. And then he takes the cup and he gives thanks. And I, I just want to emphasize that to you that he gives thanks. So here we see Jesus giving thanks. Thanks for his New Testament obligations. And here we see Jesus giving thanks for two things that represent His work. And that is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ represented by the bread and wine. And Jesus is our example. He's our example, if you will, in worshipful thanksgiving. You know, the reprobate our brother was speaking about this morning, they are marked by unthankfulness. If you go back to that text, and we'll go there for just a moment in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, if you will, in chapter 1, we find this. In chapter 1 and verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they were without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. One of the characteristics of the reprobate, and oh, may it never be said of us, one of the characteristics of the reprobate is that they live unthankful lives. Here Jesus Christ the pinnacle of humanity. Jesus Christ, the best man that ever lived. Jesus Christ, the pure man, the holy man, the righteous man, the man that was always doing the will of the Father. He was a thankful man. Thankful for all things that the Father had placed before Him. So, in our example, in the example of suffering and betrayal and strife that we're going to see tonight, this morning, I want you to see that in worshipful thanksgiving, Jesus comes to the throne and He offers up to the Father thanksgiving for what He has done and what He is doing. So with that this morning, I want to look at this subject matter that Jesus gave thanks. First of all, we notice that Jesus was thankful when faced with the greatest of all sufferings. The greatest of all sufferings. Now many of us in this life suffer. And we are faced with all kinds of suffering. There sometimes are mental sufferings. And sometimes there are physical sufferings. And sometimes there are spiritual sufferings that we go through in this life. 
But nothing can compare. No matter what you're going through at this very hour in the physical sufferings that you may be going through, nothing can compare to the suffering that our Lord Jesus Christ went through. Here in the night of His betrayal, where He'd be given over to the enemy, where the Jews would come and they would arrest Him. They would send their legions to arrest Him and they would bring Him and have false charges brought against Him. And then they would deliver Him over to the Romans and they would also have a mock, as it were, a mock trial before Him. And even though they would find no fault in Him, they would still crucify Him. And not only that, not only taken by the hands of men, but more importantly, by the power of the wrath of God being poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. He would suffer the greatest suffering, the greatest soul suffering that any man could ever suffer because He doesn't suffer for His own sin. He suffers for the sins of all of God's people. And it's a great, great, great suffering. Words cannot express the suffering that Jesus went through there upon the cross. And so I say this to say this to you today who may be suffering that your suffering may be great, but your blessed Lord suffered greater. And in the midst of His great suffering, He was thankful. Never lose sight of the gratitude that we're to have in our heart for the Lord God, no matter what we're going through and when we're going through it or how we're going through it, because He would have us always, under all circumstances, be a thankful people. Jesus Christ is our example. Jesus was facing His greatest hour of suffering. And He knew it. Listen, beloved, this wasn't hidden from the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes our sufferings are hid from us. And then they come upon us suddenly and unexpectedly. But Jesus Christ knew that He was going to suffer. And He knew the extent to which He was going to suffer. This was not hidden from the Lord Jesus Christ, even in His humanity. The Bible says here in our text, notice what it says, if you will, in verse 15. And He said unto them, with, with desire, with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus knew that there was an hour of suffering awaiting Him. Now Jesus had suffered in this life by the hands of His enemies all along the way. But there was an hour appointed of suffering, a suffering that He came for, a suffering that He intended to suffer with, a suffering that He says in this text that He was looking forward to. Looking forward to. So He knew what lay before Him before He suffered. He knew there was great agony awaiting Him. In the book of Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, we know our Lord Jesus Christ there, the Bible says, is the Lamb slain, right? The Lamb slain before what? Before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain. Now, He didn't suffer before the foundation of the world, but He is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So he, and I believe the emphasis that I want to at least see in that passage is that He knew of His suffering. This is not something concealed from Jesus Christ. But he knows that he is going to suffer. And he knew that the hour of his agony was at hand. In the book of John, chapter 12 and verse 27. In John 12 and verse 27. Jesus facing the greatest of all sufferings. And it's right there at hand. It, it's going to be within the hours. You know, think about it like this. Maybe next time you come to the Lord's table. And you think about how that Jesus Christ suffered for you and how that He was grateful that He could suffer for you. How He was thankful. I, that just, it just overwhelms me that the Lord would say, you know, I want to suffer for Him. I'm glad I can suffer for Him. I, I want to. I delight in the fact that I'm going to suffer for Him. I'm thankful I'm going to suffer for Him. That ought to thrill your heart. Why me? Why would you want to suffer for me? Oh, I want to suffer for you. I love you. That's the idea of the text. And in the book of John, chapter 12 and verse 27, John 12 and verse 27 says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? I have a troubled soul. You know, Jesus Christ was a real man. Remember, we already said that He had a, he had a real body. 
He had a real spirit. He had a real soul. He had a real mind. He had a human mind, a human heart, a human will. He was real human. And in his soul, he was troubled. In that inner part of his being, he was troubled. Troubled because of the cross. and Troubled because of the anguish that he was going to bear. But yet, he was thankful. He said, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Shall I say that? Shall I say, no, I, I'm not going to the cross. I'm not going to do that. I, I don't want to do that for those folks. I don't want to do that for him. I don't want to do that for her. No, he doesn't say that. He says, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Oh, what a great truth, beloved, that Jesus knew. He knew His hour and His agony was at hand. And in the book of Hebrews 10, this is what He came for. Jesus knew His purpose. You know, the other night I told you, or the other day I told you about knowing your purpose. John the Baptist knew His purpose. That's what made Him such a good Baptist. But how much more did our Lord know His purpose? You know, our Lord didn't doubt His purpose. John the Baptist doubted His a little bit. And he said, now, am I, this, are you really the one? Are you really the... Hey, find out if He's really the one. And if, I, if this is really my mission. You know, Baptists sometimes do that. And rightly so, to some degree, we should always uh, check ourselves to some degree. Uh, not so much that we would get out of sorts, but check ourselves. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing for the Lord? Jesus never struggled with that. I don't believe that Jesus struggled, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, I don't ever believe He struggled about whether He wanted to do the Father's will or not. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's the intent of that passage, but that's another story. In Hebrews chapter 10, here you have from the corridors of eternity, and those are big corridors now, <laughs> in the corridors of eternity, our blessed Lord Jesus Christ knows His purpose. The eternal word. He knows his purpose. And it says here in Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll just drop into it, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, it says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he say a sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin hast thou no pleasure. Then said I, here, God takes no pleasure in all these sacrifices. And then, that way back up there in the corridors of eternity, then, lo, then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and, sin for, and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither had his pleasure therein, which were offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come. Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. That's the second covenant, the new covenant, the better covenant. And here what we find is, is that Jesus again, in the hour of his agony, he knows it's approaching. Matter of fact, he, that's why he came. And in the corridors of eternity, he cries out, he says, Father, I want to come and do your will. I want to do whatever you want me to do. And that was the willing heart of the Lord Jesus Christ in the covenant of redemption. Willingly facing his agony. He was troubled, our text said. Weary and broken hearted and afflicted. Yet he was thankful. Listen, beloved, as I said, there's nothing in your life that God in His providence either sins or allows, and I believe it's both. Amen. There's nothing in God's providence that He sins or allows that you as a child of God's grace ought not to be thankful for. Oh, I know it's, it's easy to be thankful for a big, big fine meal, right, you know? Big old turkey dinner at Thanksgiving and everything's all laid out and spread out there. And you say, wow, look at this wonderful bounty we have. Oh, we have so much to be thankful for. But then something else comes along your way to try your faith, to temper you. God puts the fire in and he lets, or lets somebody else fuel the fire. And here... 
There's been no fire ever fueled like this fire. This fire was fueled by the wrath of God. This fire was stoked by the holiness of God. God's angry. And there's in some sense, and I don't understand it all, there's some sense in which God's angry at Troy Shepherd. And all my iniquities laid on Christ. He knows it's coming. He's going to satisfy that. He says, Father, I thank you for the fire. I thank you for your wrath. I thank you for your holiness. I thank you for your justice. That's what he's saying now. As, as he looks at the covenant, I thank you, Father, for who you are and what you're doing. In Psalm 69, you get a glimpse of this in the Old Testament. And I won't read the whole psalm, but you, I would encourage you to read it and you can see the heart of the man Christ Jesus and the great suffering he goes through at, by the hands of others, by the weight of sin, by his enemies, by the imputation of iniquity, by the believer's confusion, by the lack of fellowship, by being turned over to the Father's wrath. All those are found there in Psalm 69. In Psalm 69, I'll just read this one to you. Verse 29, But I am poor and sorrowful, that thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. And he did that. Matter of fact, he did that at the end of this supper. And we'll magnify him with thanksgiving. You know, to magnify doesn't make anything bigger than it already is. You can't make God bigger than he already is. Even the Son of God in His humanity could not make God any more than He is, but He brought Him into good view. And that's what Thanksgiving does. You know, when we're unthankful, even in the midst of our sorrows and in our weaknesses and our trials and our tribulations, what we're doing is when we murmur and complain and we gripe and we say God is not fair and God shouldn't do this, what we're doing is we're bringing ourselves into view or you're bringing a distorted view upon God. But not our blessed Lord. Oh, He's a perfect man. And he brings the Father into view. And he magnifies him with his thanksgiving. You want to magnify God? You want to bring him into view as he is? That others may see him and they'll come, may come away and say, Wow, I don't, I've never seen a person that could be so happy in such great trial and tribulation. I, I don't know how a person can go through such things that they went through. Their God must be a big God. Bring Him into view. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord. Better than an ox or a bullock that hath hoof and horns. Oh, that God is magnified in thanksgiving. And here in our text, He's thankful, thankful as He faced the greatest of sufferings. He would be forsaken by His disciples. Matter of fact, He told them. He told them at this very table, you will forsake Me. Well, Peter says, oh, not Me. And Peter followed Him afar off, didn't He? Oh, Peter had got his hands cold. He had to warm up by a fire and he had to lie and say, I don't know the man. And he swore, which means he brought God into the situation. You know when someone swears, that means that they say, they take a solemn oath. You know, whenever people swear, you're bringing God into the situation. You better be careful what you're swearing about. 
It's one thing to lie, and then, and then, it, then you add on to that when you bring God into the situation. Well, yeah, that, that's a double duty there now. And then he goes beyond that. Yeah, can you believe this? He goes beyond that, and then he actually curses the name of God. That's what the text says. You can find it in your Bible. On the run. Jesus knows that these disciples, he knows that Peter's going to do that. He tells Peter he's going to do that. Yet he's still thankful. What a Savior. Listen, he knows this, this Savior of yours. He knows your imperfections. Now, he's not pleased with your imperfections. He doesn't encourage you to have imperfections. He doesn't, you know, lead you astray in your imperfections. But he knows them. And he can be thankful to the Father because of the covenant of redemption that all those imperfections are going to be swept away. Remember, we're complete in Him, right? He knew He'd be separated from the Father. Psalm 22 comes back from the Old Testament and brought into view in the New on the cross where Jesus says, My God... My God, why hast thou forsaken me? He took the cup and he gave thanks. The weight of our sin and the anticipation of the cruelties of the cross and, and God's wrath did not stop his thanksgiving. Matter of fact, it moved him to thanksgiving. It didn't dissuade him, but it impelled him. It moved him. It gave him strength to head to the cross. I could hear it as it were in the background, if you will, of this Thanksgiving. Thank you, Father, for the suffering. Thank you for these people. Thank you for your holiness, for your justice, for your mercy. Because that's what the covenant of grace is all about. As I already said, I'll not go there, but you can go in Hebrews and you can look at Hebrews 12, for instance, where with joy that was set before Him. What was the joy of the cross set before Him? Well, I think the first joy of that is, is that He was doing the Father's will. The second joy is, is that He joyed in those people that He was going to die for. And I think the third joy would be that He would be thankful that it would all be accomplished. As designed. I believe that he's saying my part in the covenant of grace I'm thankful for. You know, I don't have time to deal with this, but the Father has a part in the covenant of grace. Now, there's only one God, but the way the Scriptures present God is that He is Father, Word, and Holy Ghost. And the Father has a part in the covenant of grace in His determinate counsel, Right? He plans it all out. He schemes it, as it were, in this determinate council. Now, with a council, you've got to have more than one. And so the Father's part is to scheme it, and the Son's part is to be sent, to come, to take on human form, to be us, as it says. You know, He was made us. He was made human and He was also made sin for us. And he's, he's thankful for His part in the covenant of grace. You know, the Holy Ghost has a part in the covenant of grace. He agrees with what the Father and the Son did. And he comes in and testifies to that. Matter of fact, He testified it to my heart. God the Holy Ghost through the preaching of the Word of God, the, the man who came with the Word of reconciliation one day and he told me about what God did in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And the Holy Ghost said, that's true, that's true, that's true. He testifies 
That's His work in the covenant of grace. I can't develop that. I wish I could. But I tell you what, that's such a blessed truth. But Jesus Christ is here. We get back to Him now. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Father, I am thankful for my part in the covenant of grace. He was thankful. He was thankful for you. You know what would have, you know the Bible says that the love of Christ constraineth us. If you want to be a dedicated, consecrated, you ought to be, want to be, child of God, surrender to the will of the Father. Get a good glimpse of the love that Jesus Christ has. He loved you and loves you with an everlasting love. And that love drove him, moved him, was the driving force to take him all the way to the cross. Here, John 10. John 10. And verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father. That's covenantal, by the way. This mutual relationship, I believe in the text, is talking about the covenant. The Father knows me and I know the Father. You know, he already said it. And I reveal the Father and the Father reveals me. It's covenantal. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17 says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Chapter 13 and verse... John 13 now and verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, He wanted you. Jesus Christ had a great desire. And that is to satisfy the just demands of God. You are bought with a price, the Scripture says, right? And Jesus wanted to pay the price. That ought to thrill your heart. Listen, if that does not move you to serve Christ, there is nothing that will ever move you to serve Him. If that does not move you to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ in your dealings with each other, and your dealings with your neighbor, if that doesn't move you to be a Christian and want to live out a full Christian life, patterned after the Lord Jesus Christ, if that doesn't move you to deny the flesh, nothing will move you. It is the love of Christ that constrains us. He was thankful. Secondly, Jesus was thankful in the midst not only of this suffering that He was facing, but Jesus was thankful in the midst of great betrayal. Luke 22 and 21. I believe Luke has just given us a synopsis, if you will, of what transpired. He's not necessarily going in chronological order. He's just hitting the highlights of what took place that night. And you can see that, and I, won't, I don't want to develop it, but you can see that as you compare all the other places. But I want you to see this part anyway. Verse 21, But behold, the hand of him which betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom 
he is betrayed. Luke 22, 21 and 22. The betrayer was at him, with him at the table. Now, without getting into details, I just want to pass on by this because it's not important for the message so much as it is what I just want you to know. The betrayer leaves before the institution of the supper. He's there at the Passover. He's at the table. And then there are some events that transpire. You can read about them in John 13. And then uh, he dips in the sop and the Bible says immediately he leaves. And then we come back and pick up this text where he institutes the Lord's Supper. But that is neither here nor there for the message this morning. The truth of the matter is that in the midst of this time of thanksgiving, he's thankful at the Passover, he's thankful at the Lord's Supper, he is thankful for what he is going to do for his people, and he, he intimates that by saying, I'm thankful for the bread, I'm thankful for the wine, they represent me and what I'm going to do. But he does this in the midst of great betrayal. The familiar friend, Judas, is at the table. Yet he's still thankful. You can read about him being that familiar friend in the book of Psalm 41. In John 13, we read about him. And some of the actions that he does there. Here, here's a man that is with him. Uh, you know, he's one that goes up to the upper room with our blessed Lord, at least initially. As if everything is just fine. If everything is just alright. In John 13 and verse 18, the Bible says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heels against me. He had eaten bread with the Lord many times, and now at this institution, he, he eats the Lord, eats bread with the Lord, at least at the Passover part of the institution, and he's there around the table, and they're memorializing that, first of all, that first Passover, that, that the, the, the tight Passover. And they're memorializing that, and he's there with him. But Jesus is conscious of who he is. I might just say this, beloved, in passing. Jesus knows who you are. He knows your heart. He knows, you know, G Judas had already, you can read the text, and I won't go into that, but you can read the text, and he had already sold our Lord. He would already sold Him. He hadn't got the money yet, but he would already sold Him. And he goes back and he says, listen, listen, guys, I know where He is, and I know where He's going to be. So when he dips the sop, he immediately leaves, then he goes out into the night, the Bible says. Goes out into the darkness as he betrays the Lord. And he goes back to the enemy. He tells them, he says, I know where he's going to be. I know how he is. I'll lead you right to him. I know where he's going to go. He's going to go to the garden of prayer. He takes him over there. He had entrusted him with the bag. With the apostleship with spiritual gifts? Nobody knew. You know, they didn't know. I tell you they didn't know because whenever they were asked, but in the beginning here they say, is it I? Is it me? You know, who is this you're talking about? But Jesus knew. And Jesus did not let the hypocrite, the betrayer, dissuade him from thanksgiving. You know, there are a lot of people who make all kinds of excuses why they are not thankful. Now, they may not come right out and blab them out, but they'll, they'll make all kinds of excuses in their heart and their mind. And there are a lot of people who make all kinds of excuses why they can't worship the true and living God as He demands. And they say, well, I wouldn't go over there. That's a bunch of house of hypocrites. And it may be. And shame on you if it is. But here Jesus, it doesn't stop him, does it? In the midst of betrayal, it doesn't stop him from giving thanks. He knows that Judas was a fake friend. He knows that Judas is a liar and a cheater. He knows it. 
But yet, Father, I thank you. Those who lie on us and betray us and live lies should not keep us from thanksgiving. And let no one, no matter how seemingly great they may be, keep you from your New Testament obligations. You know, you have New Testament obligations as well. The commands of Christ all through the New Testament of what you're to do and how you're to live out your life, to live out the grace of God that's in you and to manifest the Spirit of God that's in you. And sometimes we let others we let others determine the, whether we're going to be thankful or not, whether we're going to serve or not. Don't let it be said. Our Lord served faithfully. Thirdly and finally, Jesus was thankful in the midst of great strife and misunderstanding. Luke 22 and 24. And there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Sounds like a bunch of Baptists to me. Sitting around figuring out who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to be the greatest preacher? Who's going to be the greatest singer? Who's going to be the greatest Bible teacher? Who's going to be the greatest servant? Who's going to be the greatest here or there, wherever, where we go? Who's going to be the greatest? Well, I'm greater than him, and, uh, and she's greater than her, and who's going to be the greatest among us? And all, can you imagine this? And all at the Lord's table. What do you think about when you come to the Lord's table? I'll tell you what you should be thinking about. You should know who the greatest is. You should. There was a strife among them. Yet Jesus was thankful. How fickle and self-centered true disciples of Jesus can be. Jesus is thankful and they're fighting. Jesus is serving. He's taking his place of dishonor. And they're vying for who's going to be the greatest. Beloved, this was a long-running dispute among these men. You can read about it in Matthew 20, for instance. Just very quickly there now. It was a long-running dispute between James and John and Mama. Mama wants her boy to be the greatest now. Mama! Mama comes up and says, Mama! Mama says, Now Jesus, i got two boys and I, I want to have them to have a special place with you at your kingdom. Matter of fact, I, I want one of them to sit on your right hand and the other one to sit on your left hand. And she covers all that up with worship. Can you believe that? Matthew 20 and verse 20. Matthew 20 and verse 20. This was this long-running dispute. And then came unto him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. You know, we've come this morning to worship him, haven't we? And there's nothing wrong with desiring for him to do things for us in worship. But the focus of worship is not so much for us desiring Him to do things for us, but for us to see Him exalted in our midst. And she covers up her, her wicked heart. She covers up her ambitions with worship. And in the center, what will thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. You know why she didn't know? Because there's a cost, a desperate cost for a position in the kingdom. 
You, you want this for you? You really want this for your boy? Oh, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. But now let's go back to our text. You know, John wanted it. James wanted it. Mama wanted it. But they wanted it for the wrong reasons. The wrong reasons. And this long-running dispute, you know, I, I like to say this, it was a long-running dispute among preachers. You know, sometimes the people in the pew feel like they're the only ones beat up on, right? These were preachers. And these preachers had this long-running dispute among themselves of who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And by doing so, they missed out on who is the greatest in the kingdom. And they do it, how sadly they do it, at the Lord's table. But our Lord doesn't do it. Our text says... There was a strife among them. And Jesus there at the table rebukes them. And he says, you're acting like a bunch of Gentiles. You're acting like a bunch of heathen. Baptists do that sometimes. Good saved Baptists. Good doctrinally sound Baptists. They act like a bunch of heathen. And Jesus deals with it. He dealt with it before and now he does what he often has to do among his disciples because we're such slow learners. He has to deal with it again. You know, I really believe one reason he set the table in the Lord's church is because he knows how we are. He knows how fickle we are. And he gives us a tangible reminder of how much we desperately need him. We desperately need Him. And He tells us every time we break the bread and every time we drink the wine, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about my covenant obligations. It's about what I have to do for you. You need me. I don't need you. I want you. And there's a difference. God has no need. But he has some wants. And what a wonderful truth that he wants us. And these disciples were fickled. And there is often strife among disciples. And it's because we misunderstand our purpose. Our purpose is to be the most dedicated, addicted, surrendered servants of Jesus Christ as possible. Following after our Savior who loved us with an eternal love that we might even be able to love Him in return. There should be no strife among disciples. I would encourage you today not to be the cause of strife, not to be caught up in strife, but to be focused on the sacrifice. Amen. Jesus Christ the man was focused on the sacrifice. His sacrifice. And by being that kind of man, he was focused on the Father's will. This is why he came. I've come to this hour. Save me from this hour? Never, God forbid. For this hour I came to do thy will, O God. Focused on the sacrifice. Stay focused on Jesus Christ. Refocus on Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're lost, I've tried to lift Christ high. You know, you need this one I've been preaching about. This one who always did the will of the Father. 
You know, we're saved not only by the death of Christ and the blood of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, but the book of Hebrews tells us we're saved by the obedient life of Christ. His obedience put to our account. His righteous life given to us put to our account. The kind of life that you need this morning. Oh, I would pray that even today you might see the great sinner that you are. That your unthankfulness might resonate in your heart to see how you have violated God through your unthankfulness. That an unthankful heart is a wicked heart. It's a heart that's against God's providence. It's a heart that's against God's will. But a thankful heart. Oh, that's a pleasing heart to the Father. And we see this in the Son, Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that you might trust Him, that you turn to Him. <coughs> Jesus does bid us come. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Oh, that you might learn of Christ today as you've never seen Him before. That you find Him altogether lovely. The peacemaker, the satisfier of God's just demands, the mediator between God and man, the surety of a better covenant, a covenant that is based on a simple oath where God says, this is what I want done. And the son says, I'll do it. And I'll do it well. May God bless you is my prayer. And may we be a thankful people. Savior, our Savior. Thank you, brother.